Here we go, Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. He remembered us in our low estate, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. He gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to see you. Thank you for having me uh, this morning and on a lovely spring day as well. It uh, was a great delight and surprise for once not to be driving through fog to get here this morning. So very pleased about that. Um, can I ask you, please, to um, open up a Bible to Psalm 136, which you'll find on page 620. Uh, and also, on the ins- uh, you should find this little leaflet inside your um, handouts, which has an outline of what I'd like to talk about. You'll find that useful to have it in front of you. Um, there's also a space to take some notes and some blanks to fill in. Um, as Cameron said, uh, I'm very uh, thankful to be here both this week and uh, next week looking at a couple of psalms uh, as, um, as you continue to make your way through God's word throughout the year. Uh, psalm 136 is a song, and uh, we don't know much about this song. We don't know who composed it. We don't know when. We don't know why. Uh, but for once, the big idea is kind of hard to miss, isn't it? Anyone spot it? Anyone? Yeah? His love endures forever. Yeah, this one's, uh, this one's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Um, interestingly, uh, Psalms 106 and 107 open with exactly the same words. I've printed them there for you on your handout. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Psalm 118 uh, has the refrain repeated four times. But Psalm 136, uh, it seems just a little bit over the top, doesn't it? Uh, 26 times, uh, every single verse, his love endures forever. Uh, You really can't miss the point of this one. Uh, It's like one of those songs which is not particularly creative but is hard to forget. 
So I was reminded recently of a song that, um, now this, this shows my age at one level. Um, this is Taylor Swift. Uh, she had a hard to forget hit in 2012 called We Are Never Ever Ever Getting Back Together. Uh, some of you will know this has been stuck in my wife's head for five years now. Uh, you can't forget a song like that, uh, because it's very straightforward and the big idea is obvious. Uh, and yet at the same time, Psalm 136, uh, it also feels a little bit discordant. Um, sorry about the pun there uh, when it comes to music. It feels a bit discordant. Uh, verse 18, for example, He killed mighty kings. His love endures forever. What do we do with uh, often what is a Christian cliche, God is love, in the context of a psalm like Psalm 136? Uh, We're going to try and explore that in a little bit of detail this morning. Uh, Psalm 136 is a song, uh, but at the same time, it's written, you might notice, like a good three-part English essay. Uh, There's an introduction, there's a body, and there's a conclusion. And the introduction and the conclusion, the start and the end, tell us something about how we are to respond to God, but it's the body, the main part of the psalm, that describes what God is like. And you'll see in your handout there, the key to the Psalms, I think, is what they tell us about God first and foremost, not what they tell us to do. So we're going to start by seeing what evidence there is for God's love. And that's verses 4 through 25, point 1 on your handout. Now, the way in which this Psalm goes is that he gives, uh, the songwriter gives four different types of evidence for God's love Uh, Four different types of evidence which enable us to say over and over and over again, his love endures forever. And you'll see I've listed them there for you. I'm going to move through these fairly quickly. Uh, Four different ways in which God is described as being a God of love. So here we go. Point one, he made everything, verses four through nine. He made everything. God's love, according to the songwriter, is seen firstly in the simple fact that he made everything even before he made us, even before he made people. I I presume that's because we're being reminded that God doesn't actually need us, but he chose chose to make us to enjoy what was his already. You know something about that uh, if you're a parent. Uh, Parents, well, the best parents choose to have children uh, not as... Uh, the cause of their happiness, but as the product of it. That is, they choose to have children to share in everything that is theirs already. And of course, uh, you know very well, perhaps, uh, what the burden is if you have been born to be the cause of your parents' happiness. Uh, You see that actually on Saturday mornings at sport, don't you? Some parents seem to take it more seriously than their kids do. God made everything. That's a sign of his love. Well, secondly, he saves his people, verses 10 through 15. He saves his people. Uh, The main part of the psalm, in fact, uh, talks about God's love uh, shown in the way in which he saved his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And particularly in verses 11 through 14, it describes the miracle of Moses parting the Red Sea to lead the Israelites away from the Egyptians. Although you'll notice, uh, if you look back at those middle parts there, verses 11 through 14, it doesn't say that it's Moses who led the people out. It's God led them. 
That is, human agents aren't even mentioned in this psalm because God is the one at work. God is the active party. It's God who is in the words of another song that we sing today. It's God who is mighty to save. And yet, if you look closely at verses 10 and 15, verses 10 and 15, there's a reminder that for God to properly save his people Israel, he must first defeat her enemies, the Egyptians. Verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. Verse 15, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. We're being reminded that God's love for Israel manifests as judgment on her enemies. If that sounds harsh, then consider, if you will, uh, a few things. Firstly, how rightly we would rejoice if ISIS were defeated tomorrow. That would be appropriate for us to rejoice, wouldn't it? That is, there's a matter of perspective going on here. If, uh, as a child, you're in a schoolyard fight with a bully and your big brother steps in to save you, what looks like to you an expression of his love is actually perceived by your foe as pain and suffering. Psalm 136 reminds us that God's love is often seen at the same time as his judgment. His mercy is seen alongside his wrath. Well, second thing to say about these verses, which can come across as harsh, second thing to say is that God striking down Egypt's firstborn is in fact entirely proportional. It is, you might say, an eye for an eye. After all, the reason Israel, well, Israel being in slavery in Egypt, one of the ways in which the Egyptians kept them oppressed was by their pharaoh ordering the execution of every Israelite baby boy. So now God's being called on to strike down the firstborn of the Egyptians. It's no more than an eye for an eye. And the third thing to say is that if God did nothing to save his people, you'd end up concluding that he didn't care about his people, that he was oblivious to their plight. You'd find it very hard to say 26 times in a row, his love endures forever if he did not save his people from their misery. We're looking for evidence of God's love. We've seen that he made everything. He saves his people. Thirdly, he sustains his people. He sustains his people. This is verses 16 through 24. Uh, God's love in sustaining Israel in the wilderness uh, whilst they're in transit to the promised land uh, means that, in fact, more nations besides the Egyptians will also experience his wrath. You'll see a reference there to Sion, uh, the king of the Amorites, and Og, uh, king, the king of Bashan. Uh, both of those kings and their countries, they are held to account for their refusal to grant safe passage to the Israelites as they flee the Egyptians. It's a reminder for us, once again, that God sees everything in his world. He even sees when his creatures don't treat each other properly. And in so doing, Psalm 136 is reminding us that even unbelievers 
cannot indefinitely ignore their maker. All of us will stand to account for the way in which we have treated even each other. Now, this section, this third part, finishes in verses 23 and 24 with a lovely summary. If you have a look there, verse 23, he remembered us in our low estate, his love endures forever. Verse 24, and freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. Now, the really interesting thing about these two verses is that, did you notice there, for the first time in the whole psalm, the first time he switches to us. Did you notice that? He talks about us First person plural, for the first time in the whole psalm. And I imagine, in fact, that as the song's been written, it's meant to be a delighted, wondrous explanation. Verse 23, he remembered us in our low estate. Verse 24, he freed us even from our enemies. And so the fourth evidence of God's love, according to Psalm 136, is that he sustains everything. He sustains everything. Verse 25, he gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Uh, This verse uh, finishes this section by, in fact, returning to the opening theme back in verses 4 through 9. It tells us that God's love is seen not just in him making everything, but in him, in him sustaining everything as well. And so verse 25 talks about uh, he gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Uh, which made me wonder, actually, in fact, whether Psalm 136 would be a good psalm to say before you eat, a good grace that you might say, as Christians often do, before lunch. It might take a while, um, but particularly if you have a family and with young children, Perhaps before lunch today, it's not very hard for the kids to work out which part they have to say if you get them to do the second part of the psalm. For some of us, we might find ourselves wondering, uh, what about famine? That says God gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. What about famine? And that's that's a difficult question, I'll grant you. It's not one that the songwriter wants to delve into at this point. Although I think part of the answer would be to say that If there is famine, uh, that's not the way in which God intended it to be. And in fact, what the rest of the Bible will say is that it's our sin which has distorted the world that God has made. I presume, in fact, that before sin entered the world in Genesis 3, before sin came, every creature in some way would have had enough to eat. Uh, But the profound point that's been made here is that uh, you see it in the way in which the psalm has been structured, the song has been structured. This is first and foremost a reminder of what God does for his whole world, not just what he does for his people. And again, I assume that's to prevent us from becoming too me-focused, too anthropocentric. It's designed to stop us from thinking that, in fact, Mankind is at the centre of the universe, as if God cares only for people, though he does care for people. We're being told God cares about everything that he has made, and so his love, it will endure forever. Well, let me say a few things about what we do with all of this, because much of the psalm is about what God is like, but nevertheless, it's helpful for us to reflect on a response 
what the takeaway is for us uh, this afternoon in this week ahead. And that's point two there on your handout, responding to God's love, verses 1 to 3 and verse 26. I want to look at the start and the end, the introduction and the conclusion, to see what this says about how we are to respond. Now, before I do, just remember again, let me ask you, uh, the key to the Psalms, I've already said this, the key to the Psalms, it's what God tells us about what God is like, not what it tells us about how to respond. So we need to bear that in mind. Uh, but here, when we come to our response, again, thankfully, the songwriter is very clear. Uh, and once again, the songwriter uses repetition uh, to make the point. In fact, there is only one response that's required, uh, and it's repeated uh, four times in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 26. Have a look there. It's pretty clear. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And then verse 25, give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Uh, the word good there in verse 1, I think, is a lovely summary of the entire psalm. It's a lovely description of God's character. Whatever else you might say about God, the songwriter wants us to know this. He is good. And the other ways in which he's described in verses 2, 3, and 26, he's the God of gods, he's the Lord of lords, he's the God of heaven, they are always reminding us that this good God is supreme. He is majestic. He is powerful. Now, the Psalms were written originally in a polytheistic context. That is, the peoples of the world believed in many gods. So what I think we're being told here is that God, he is above all other gods. Not that there are no other gods, which is what, of course, our world believes today. Uh, we live in an atheistic context but back then, they believed in many gods. And the songwriter is saying, this good God, he rules over all. Of course, again, the question becomes, why make the point over and over again? Why make it four times? Just as you might be wondering, why has he had us say his love endures forever 26 times in a row? I don't have a profound answer for that other than to say simply, I think it's because we forget. At one level, I think the most memorable Christian songs are very simple and very repetitive. Now, notice I didn't necessarily say the best Christian songs. Uh, so for those of us who've grown up perhaps in Sunday school once upon a time, you will never forget this song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, blah, blah, blah. And there's right arms and left arms. And well, guess what? I've never forgotten that Father Abraham had many sons, uh, so that's kind of useful, I guess. Um, I really do hope that um, if someone asks you later today, uh, what was church about this morning? Uh, what, um, well, what, what passage did they preach on? I hope you can remember. Psalm 136? Yeah, yeah. And if they say, what was it about? You know, I kind of hope that you can remember that as well, something about God's love enduring forever. Uh, perhaps at a deeper level, the reason why the psalm is so repetitive is because God's love is so incredible uh, 
It deserves to be repeated endlessly. It's something that you never tire of. And if you want a parallel from our own situation, from our own relationships, you never really grow tired of praising your beloved, whoever they might be. Whatever the reason, the repetition does highlight a problem uh, for every thoughtful believer who tries to sing this song. And the problem I've actually uh, alluded to there underneath point two with the question. Here's the question. If God's love endures forever, then why aren't all God's people saved? If God's love endures forever, why aren't all of God's people saved? Why did God's people, having been rescued from slavery in Egypt, led out through the Red Sea, uh, through uh, the wilderness, defeating the Amorites and um, all the other enemies, why did the Israelites spend 40 years in a desert? Why did so many of them fall? And if you look in your Bibles to the very next psalm, Psalm 137, it it opens with, Israel now in exile, having been thrown out of the promised land, wiped out by the Babylonians, carted away, seemingly away from God and his promises. Where is God's love which endures forever? That's a hard question. Let me address it by saying that I think part of our difficulty is that in 21st century Adelaide, Uh, we are at times too individualistic. We can think that God's promises are all about me when first and foremost they're about the whole of creation. So I think there's a reason why the 26-fold refrain, his love endures forever, is put that way around. The 26-fold refrain is not, I am loved, the reason for that, I think, is because even if a parent promises their child, I'll never stop loving you, sadly, a child can still choose to walk away. Once again, what the songwriter is doing, I think, is focusing us on God. He's directing our gaze away from ourselves. It's saying that God never gives up on his people as a whole, even if particular individuals might miss out through unbelief. I wonder if it would be better for us as Christians to talk less about God loves me and more about God loves us. Both statements are true, but the second, God loves us, reminds us that God's concern is is for more than just any one person. Of course, what's extraordinary is that even as some of us choose to walk away, even as some of us shout to God, leave us alone, we want nothing to do with you, sometimes he still comes looking. He still comes chasing us, bringing us back home. Just please don't ever use that as an excuse to deliberately walk away. 
Psalm 136 reminds us that the difference between those who do receive God's love and those who don't, in the end, the difference is whether we choose to remember, choose not to forget, choose to give thanks, as we're told to do four times in a row, choose to give thanks to God over and over again. Uh, Even when, to be honest, circumstances can make it pretty hard. And this is where the New Testament gets even more explicit. I printed for you there a short verse from Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 6. Here the Apostle Paul urges us, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and, this is the key part, overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. Now, the word overflowing there, Now, overflowing is an extravagant kind of word, isn't it? To be overflowing with thankfulness means more than just, you know, a little bit thankful or, you know, thankful sometimes or, you know, thankful enough to get by on balance. Overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, That's over the top. Kind of like in the same way as saying his love endures forever 26 times in a row is just a little bit over the top. It wasn't strictly necessary to get us to say that 26 times in a row, but it kind of makes the point in a way that is hard to forget. Now, I think the key to overflowing is to be intentional. Uh, It's to be deliberate. It's to make a choice that you will be thankful no matter how difficult the circumstances might be. And I put it that way around, that is to say that thankfulness is intentional and deliberate because I've not met many people who wake up one morning to discover that overnight they've been magically transformed into thankful people. No one, I think, just accidentally overflows with thankfulness. And that's particularly the case uh, in the world in which we live. Uh, in a world that's, um, that's powered by social media, where the whole basis of social media is encouraging discontentment with your situation as you see how good everyone else's is, it's kind of hard to be naturally thankful, I think. Discontentment, of course, it leads to envy and bitterness. And worst of all, in Christians... Discontentment can lead you to think that God is holding out on you, that somehow he shortchanged you. Whereas grace reminds us that our God, he is so generous that he forgives even all our sin. So I want to say something for a couple of minutes about how to be thankful, practically. And I've called this section there, Handy Hints on How to Be Thankful. Handy Hints on How to Be Thankful. Let me give you a few suggestions. Uh, These are just my suggestions, and you'll see at the bottom of the page that the uh, over-coffee question is a direct one flowing from this talk. Uh, Perhaps you might spend some time reflecting on how you could better cultivate thankfulness in this week ahead. But let me give you a couple of suggestions as I've reflected on what it means to be thankful, I guess particularly in my life. Firstly, how to be thankful? Pick up some thankful habits. Pick up some thankful habits. What I mean by that is that uh, we evangelical Christians who want to change the world, 
uh, we're generally not very good at stopping and reflecting and recognizing what God has done already. So I want to urge you, if that's the kind of person you are, at regular, (laughs) deliberate, varying frequencies, just stop your doing and give thanks to God for what he has done. Here's a couple of ways in which um, that plays out in my life. Uh, In my family, uh, my wife and I, once a year, uh, we try and stop and give thanks to God for everything that he has given to us in the year gone by. Now, you'll never guess when's the best time for us to do that. Uh, It's on New Year's Eve, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, because actually, like most of us, we hate New Year's Eve. I mean, really, who wants to go out and then just spend three hours between 9 and 12 wishing that you were home asleep? Um, So we don't even bother. What we do instead is that we just sit down and we write a list of all the things that we want to give thanks to God for for the year gone by. And we write it up. Um, Actually, we've never looked at the list. It's on my computer somewhere, perhaps for the day in which we forget. But at least for that year, we've made a point that we stopped to remember. As Cameron mentioned before, I spend most of my time working with university students. Uh, The staff team that I meet with each week uh, to pray for the students and for the ministry uh, we do that each week by, um, by means of connecting with each other. Once a term, we cancel our normal staff meeting and all we do is we sit down and write a list of all the things to thank God for in the term gone by. That's one of the ways in which we are deliberate and intentional about giving thanks. At a daily level, uh, we, uh, with our kids, so we have three kids, um, we uh, try to teach our kids what it means to be thankful. One of the ways in which you do that is that uh, after dinner, when we have prayers, our kids, uh, as we go around the table to say a prayer, our kids, amongst other things, they must always, we're told, they have to say thank you to God for something for the day gone by. Now, of course, um, for the little ones, uh, the thankfulness to God is generally for the food they've eaten about five minutes before because they've got memories like goldfish, so they can't remember much, but part of what we're trying to do is teach them thankfulness to make that habitual. And of course, being thankful means looking for the occasional things that come up, being ready and available for that. So my my wife, Wendy, uh, when we had babies, uh, she started um, a blog where she'd take photos of the kids to put on the blog to show family who all live interstate. Um, One of the reasons she did that was because she worked out that if she is taking photos of the kids, um, then even if they're screaming and howling their guts out, that's actually quite funny. Um, and, you know, you probably notice this, right? When parents take photos of little babies, they get behind the camera, what do parents do? They put these ridiculously stupid smiles on their faces as if that'll make a difference for the child. Uh, it doesn't because they can't see your face. But, you know, the, the act of you smiling causes you mostly to be slightly, a little bit less irritated at the baby. What is it for you? What thankful habits might you and your household begin? Uh, Secondly, more quickly, fill your mind with thankful thoughts. How to be thankful? Fill your mind with thankful thoughts. Now, what I mean by this is um, the Psalms were songs, right? And so they were meant to be sung. And the thing is, as we all know, song tunes stick in your head, whether you like them or not. So I would encourage you to learn songs 
that specifically describe God's love and God's goodness and therefore promote thankfulness. Now, what I mean by that is, uh, and this is me being grumpy old man Jeff when it comes to songs that we sing in church sometimes, right? You know that there's some songs that you sing, and you hear them on the radio sometimes these days. These songs go like this. See if you spot this song. This song goes, God, you really, really love me. You love me, you really do. I know you love me, you love me, you love me. I feel your love all the time, God. You love me, you love me, you love me. Now, you've probably not heard that exact song, but because it's not very catchy. Cameron will sing it later. Um, but you know that kind of song that just talks in a very unspecific, bland way about God's love? I think much better songs are songs that say, God, you love me because. And God, you love me because you do this or you do that. And I know it, not just because of the way in which I feel. Um, That's actually the strength, I think, of the old-fashioned hymns that we tend not to sing much these days. Uh, They are first and foremost about God and what God is like. Okay, so there's one idea. Uh, the other is, and this, um, I think this one's really useful, this is one that uh, you start when you're younger but tend to forget when you're older, somewhat ironically. Memory verses. Uh, memory verses. One of the reasons for memorising scripture, I think, is so that it springs to mind when you need to interpret circumstances that are hard. You know, those times when God doesn't seem so good, where you can't instantly see how his love endures forever, uh, those are the times when God's word enables you to interpret what's going on. So one of the verses that I've tried to memorise recently is, is risky, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and, built, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. All right, third final suggestion. Pick up some handy hints, uh, pick up some thankful habits, fill your mind with thankful thoughts. Thirdly, hang out with thankful people. Hang out with thankful people. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the great author of the Narnia Chronicles, um, he talks about good infections. Now, I know that as we're finally recovering from winter, you think, can there possibly be such a thing as a good infection? Um, well, not really, although I like the idea. If you hang out with people who are overflowing with thankfulness, then some of what overflows from them will flow to you. So look for the people who are always thanking God. Can I ask you, for those of us here, the members of this church, for the Christians here, what kind of person do your friends who aren't believers know you as? Do they see you, do they see you as someone who overflows with thankfulness? And so then... Finally, one last thing, point three, showing God's love to the world. 
one last time. The key to the Psalms is what they say about God, not what they tell us to do, which is why the title of this talk, you'll see on the top of the outline, the title of the talk is The God Whose Love Endures Forever. Uh, One of the reasons why I think Psalm 136 is so important for us today is because I think that most unbelievers in Australia assume that Christians are saved by doing stuff to please God. They look at our lives and they see us keeping a whole series of rules and regulations. They watch us as we go to church, as we give money, as we turn the other cheek, even as we're told we should be thankful. I don't want to deny that there are complicated things and seasons and moments in life. I don't think that Psalm 136 is saying that we need to be naive, la-di-da, happy-go-lucky people who are always in every circumstance just full of joy. But I think what Psalm 136 is saying to us is that genuinely thankful people who overflow with thankfulness Whoever followed thankfulness because of what God has done for them, not because of what they're trying to do to please God, those kinds of people are very rare in our city. When you meet them, they stand out like beacons. And if you're one of those people who consistently overflows with thankfulness, people will notice and people will ask you why. So my question for you today is, are you ready to respond with words that will highlight God's love for us, not our feeble attempts to please him back? Will you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are very good and that your love endures forever. Amen.